Welcome back, everyone, to the next installment of the Startup Series podcast. Today's guest is the incredible Jeanette Chia, uh, co-founder of Hacker Exchange. Now, some of you might have heard about Hacker Exchange and the program. Jeanette and her team are reinventing education and the education experience for young Australian entrepreneurs and innovators. Hacker Exchange is literally supercharging the next generation of startups and young leaders by reimagining this experience. Gone are the days of straight classroom education. Companies like Hacker Exchange are creating immersive experiences for students just like you to learn from global leaders. They do this by running wonderful innovation programs, cutting edge innovation programs, literally taking students from Australia to learn and connect with innovation and startup and tech leaders in Singapore, Tel Aviv, and San Francisco. All of this is part of their university degree. So they're going from strength to strength. It was started by Jeanette and her co-founder, Bevis. And in the conversation today, we have the wonderful Jeanette who engages in an amazing conversation with me um, where we explore all sorts of uh, aspects of running a business. Not only is Jeanette supporting young entrepreneurs as a sort of ecosystem leader, but Hacker Exchange is a startup itself. And particularly with Jeanette, we explore the power of relationships from the relationships she formed in order to get involved with Hacker Exchange, how she navigated a, a founder transition in Hacker Exchange, and how through adversity right now in COVID, relationships are, are, are really still turbocharging the impact and the, the power of Hacker Exchange as they move to a, a digital model. It's a really interesting conversation. Jeanette is a superpower in the startup ecosystem, an expert collaborator, a relationship and engagement expert. Listen out particularly for the stuff around relationships, founder relationships, and navigating adversity as a, a startup founder. There are some wonderful learnings in there. Time for the episode. Enjoy. Hey, Jeanette. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it is going well. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. I know we've worked together over the years a bunch of times, but um, I, I just can't wait to get chatting and pick your brain. It's, uh, it's all here for, for the taking right now. So very excited to chat with you and um, thanks for inviting me. Sounds no, like fun. No problems. I'll t be taking you up on that. So I'm going to start off with a compliment. All right. So okay. get ready for it. Don't blush. Um, right. Or you can blush. So I was thinking, I was thinking about, um, you know, we've worked together a little bit and I was thinking about like, what makes Jeanette special? And um, out of all the people that I've worked with, or I know you have this really great vibe and collaborative vibe to you that it's really easy to, to, to work with you. And um, so I went to asking a couple of other people, ah, oh, you know, over the years, uh, what, what's Jeanette like? She's great to work with. She's great to work with. It's easy to work with. I just keep hearing mm -hmm. this and hearing this. And then uh, I started doing some online digging as well. And when you start to look at your profile and what you've done over the years, it's, it's actually extraordinary um, how many different projects you're involved with, how many times you're, you've, you're mentioned as a mentor, advisor, mm -hmm. collaborator. Uh, so with that... Well, first, question, first question, how did you become this expert collaborator? 
Well, I mean, firstly, I mean, it's really lovely to hear you say that because as you know, many of us here, your reputation is what people say about you when you're not in the room. So I'm just going to take your word for it that that's what people are actually saying about me when I'm not in the room. Um, and so, you know, that, that for starters, thank you. That's really, really kind and, and great to hear. Um, the question about how do you become an expert collaborator or known as a collaborator? I think it really starts with, uh, you know, it starts with having a mindset that you're not in automatic competition with everybody else. I think that is something that we get taught quite early throughout both university and in early careers that you are competing for the same promotion or you're competing for the top slot in class. And that mindset can stop a lot of people from being collaborative. And so I think, you know, getting past that and really starting to understand that the more other people are successful, the more exciting things can be created for the world. Um, it really helps you to, to ask first, how can I help? What are you working on? What are you excited about right now? And the more you can kind of unlock those things in other people, like the more good you can do overall. So um, I would probably say it just starts with that, that mindset, Ronan. You make it sound easy, but I, I, I know it's not. Is this something you actually, do you put, do you focus on it? Do you put work into it? Yeah, uh, yes, I do. Um, so it is not, it is not a natural state of being. I mean, I was, you know, born to, to Chinese Malaysian parents, both very high achievers. Dad's a PhD, mum's an MBA, education highly important to them. Um, and like every good uh, Chinese girl, learnt violin from the age of two. So I did grow up quite competitive, quite academic. And, you know, I think it was something that I had to work on in the last sort of few years to, you know, maybe five, 10 years to sort of go, okay, like what, what kind of professional do I want to be? What kind of leader do I want to be? And these are deliberate choices that we get the chance to make. Um, and so to hear that it is paying off because you can see other people's success is really cool. Absolutely. Uh, so you mentioned your, your career's taken um, a few turns. You've learned mm. stuff along the way. You started out as a very, dedicated student, I'm guessing, <laughs> trying to be high achieving, get that corporate job, um, all please the, the parents, all the things. Uh, how did you, how did you end up as a founder? It, it was definitely lots of twists and turns. And, you know, I really enjoy, I'll start off with like, just kind of talk about my corporate career just briefly, because I actually really enjoyed it. There was, there was a lot of fun stuff that you can do when you're in a big corporate because you have a lot of resources at your disposal. Um, but the thing that I started figuring out was that it's kind of a game where the rules are set. And if you can figure out how to play that game and you're smart enough, which I see most of your students are, uh, you know, you, you smart, you can figure out how to win. Uh, whereas I think, you know, being a founder, it's, it's a whole different ball game. So when I started to look at the, the things that I'd done throughout my early career and, and sort of, you know, mid-career, you start to see these themes and trends that pop up. And one of the, two of the themes that I can probably identify is, one is I was always a person who was starting new things. So whether that was a very early website creator, you know, for financial planners at IOOF, you know, to help them make their marketing content and their, their website content, or whether it was a new superannuation product when I was working at AXA during the middle of the GFC. You know, these are things that you're like, okay, I'm working on stuff that's new and pushing the boundaries internally. And the second trend was this reputation I started to get at ANZ, which was to be the girl that would jump on grenades. And when I say that, I mean, taking risky projects. You know, so things that other people wouldn't want to touch because it might make their reputation a little bit tarnished if the project failed or because they weren't certain about getting funding. Um, I would like those projects and I would say, yep, 
give me that because I can build something that's coming off a low base. And if I succeed, then, you know, I've sort of surpassed your expectations. Um, and if I haven't, then I've, you know, done something that no one else has done. So I think those two things, those themes that I noticed across kind of those 14 years of working in corporate of starting new things and taking on risky projects quite naturally uh, blend into, you know, the, the entrepreneurial vibes and it's easier to see in hindsight, like super easy to see in hindsight. At the time, I had no idea what I was doing. So... <laughs> I don't think at the time any of us did, or maybe even still or do. do. <laughs> still do. I'm still making it up. You know, I, I, I've, um, you know, you see adulting is, is basically just learning how to fake it in a better way, right? Um, yeah, learn in public. <laughs> that's it. So tell me, grenades. I love this <laughs> analogy. Uh, I'm glad to see you survived, but what was the kind of uh, the biggest grenade you jumped on? What's, the, what's something that oh. sticks out that really really uh, made you, if you like. Well, okay. <laughs> I think I can talk about it now because it's been long enough, but at the time it was quite touchy. Uh, there was a project that was running at ANZ, which was really high profile and quite high risk. So essentially this was in the midst of like Apple stores were everywhere and this new user experience was kind of like popping up. And ANZ decided it was a good idea to maybe do a retail version of a wealth store. So imagine an Apple store and a bank had a baby. They wanted to create a situation in Pitt Street, Sydney, where we could um, go in and get uh, expert bar service for your superannuation, your wealth creation, all that kind of stuff. So that was a really interesting project because not only was it risky and people didn't really know what the success measures were, um, it was a whole new team, it was cross-disciplinary and we were building stuff which was physical retail, digital experiences, plus the education factor, plus engaging with the public, plus trying to convince people internally that this is a good idea. And that was in a, like about 11 months of my life when I was, you know, FIFO, uh, Melbourne to Sydney, working in that project. And it was, it was really rough. Like it was a really bumpy ride because of all of those factors I mentioned before. Um, I mean, right now you'd look at that and be like, oh, it was an innovation lab. We should have just mm. done that. But at the time, you know, there was some leadership, um, you know, those leadership like struggles at the top and leadership struggles in the middle. And, you know, I was kind of a fairly junior marketing manager who was going, okay, I'm just going to try to do this thing. And um, yeah, it was like a, it was, it was a really interesting project to work on. And I guess, you know, at the end of it, it didn't succeed in the way that they wanted it to, but we did take learnings out of that. And you'll still see some of those learnings in the flagship stores and like Martin Street, you know, Martin, is it Martin Place branch in Sydney and other places like that. So it's kind of cool to see that the test and learn mentality that we took into that project has like come through to, to, you know, other parts of the bank. Fantastic. And great to see that happening. I mean, your exposure to that in the corporate environment, because we talk about mm. it happening a lot and being natural in the startup env environment. So um, I'm keen to explore that a little bit, how you've gone from corporate into starting Hacker Exchange. Uh, and if you could tell us just a little bit about your journey to get there and make that transition. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, after working on that project, I ended up in the innovation team at ANZ. So we're building, you know, digital apps and different projects. And I started to realize that I couldn't speak the language. You know, I couldn't speak the language that these uh, designers and developers were, were speaking. And I, was, I started to think about how can I transition into this space where I'm, I can add value. So I ended up going to General Assembly and I learned, I trained myself in user experience design. I did like a, you know, after hours short course. Um, 
And when I got there, I actually discovered this entire community of people that were creative and curious and building stuff. And the thing they were missing, Ro, was actually the business, the business skills. So they were missing the influence, the, uh, you know, the business models, the presentation skills, stakeholder engagement. And I was like, oh, I can, I can do that. Um, so I ended up teaching at General Assembly. I sort of took up some teaching roles and did some courses and, you know, ended up sharing my business knowledge with the community. Um, and then I met uh, my co-founder, Bevis, who's based over in San Francisco through a chance coffee introduction. And he had this conversation of, you know, every time I'm in San Francisco, I see people pitching these same blockchain ideas. They're wearing the same hoodie and they went to the same school and blah, blah, blah. Where's the diverse talent? Where's Asia Pack? And I was like, well, I know where they are. They're all hanging out over here, but they don't think that they're Silicon Valley level. They don't think that they're ready to build startups. They're just doing creative projects. So we kind of put our heads together and wanted to see if we could bring the mindsets and the networks of something like Silicon Valley to the creative community here in Melbourne. And that was the, the start of the Hacker Exchange. That was the start of our project. We um, ran a pilot in sort of early 2017 with seven people going to Silicon Valley. Um, ended up sitting down with Guy Kawasaki for an hour, which was like highlight of my life. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, a few years down the track now, you know, we've got a, a team, we run, you know, dozens and dozens of programs, so thousands of students and, and entrepreneurs and um, working with, you know, universities on four different continents. So it's uh, pretty, been a journey. It's been a journey. <laughs> Incredible journey. I mean, I've witnessed firsthand the impact you have. Um, and I guess impact starts with uh, a couple of people, um, in this case, you and Bevis, your, uh, your co-founder taking a risk or jumping into things. Um, I'm sure it wasn't just one conversation uh, between you and Bevis and then no. let's go. No, how did, so, okay. how so, did so, that so, talk us that. through how that actually happened? So one thing that he's excellent at is um, nurturing relationships. And that's something I've learned from Bevis. So when, after we met, he went back to San Francisco and we ended up kind of creating like a I'm going to say like a peer mentoring relationship for about six to nine months. Um, just catching up every month, just, you know, seeing how it's going. He was curious about my goals and aspirations and things and vice versa. Um, and eventually when, you know, he floated the idea of coming together to act as a team to build them something um, and for me to join him on the Hacker Exchange journey, it took me a long time. Like I was really nervous about actually like putting my name onto something that I, you know, was brand new that didn't exist or, you know, didn't exist in a way that I sort of, imagined it would. Um, it was a big decision. And I ended up sort of saying to my boss at the time, I feel like I need to take a few months off and give this thing a try. Because if I don't do it now, in five years time, I'm going to look back and kick myself. And luckily I had a great supportive boss. He's like, yep, you can take some unpaid leave, go and do this thing. Um, I'll hold your job for a couple of months because, you know, I wasn't working in a, what you'd now call an essential worker role. So, <laughs> you know, innovation, not essential, right? <laughs> And so anyway, he, he was wonderful. I sort of said, you know, I'm instead of taking parental leave, I'm taking startup leave. I'm just going to take a few months. And when I came back, I said, look, it's gone far enough that I want to push it more, but I'm, but I can't quite afford to do that yet. And from a risk perspective, it's, it's really hard to like let go of a banking salary for no salary. Like that's a really big decision. Um, so I ended up going part-time at ANZ, which I didn't know was an option until we started to discuss it. Um, I worked sort of two, three days a week for another six months um, until I was confident enough in Hacker Exchange's business model to actually take the leap and go full-time into the business. And, you know, that was, that was a bit of a journey. So as you can sort of see, it wasn't like a, 
I think some people have this misconception that with corporate to start up, you just make a decision one day and you jump out of it. Yeah. Mine was probably a good sort of nine to 12 month transition. Um, and I think that served me really well because it helped me keep my head above water from a financial situation. I kind of thought, what's the absolute worst that can happen? And the absolute worst was probably that maybe I'd have to get a, you know, like an admin job somewhere. And like, that's, that's not that bad. Like worst case scenario, you can always jump back into like a junior marketing or junior admin kind of job. So, you know, that was a very privileged position to be in. And, um, I was, uh, very grateful for that. Totally. So, um, I'm I think it's really interesting that you, uh, you actually have a bit of a different perspective here to how you joined, um, hacker exchange, uh, as a startup founder, um, uh-huh. I mean, often, often, uh, the other side to the fence is probably your co-founder who's in it, running it and, and you're, you're thinking about it. And, um, I guess you must've, uh, it's one thing you deciding, am I in or am I not in or what it's going like, but mm. how did you communicate to your, the, the co-founder? How did, how did that go? How did you maintain, um, how did you make sure that Bevis was still interested in you when you yep. were sort of dating him <laughs> to work out whether it was ANZ or Hacker yeah, yeah, So how yeah. did you manage that relationship from your perspective? Because it worked out well. We know the story. You joined um, yep. and things are flying now. So how did you um, navigate that period? Yeah, it was a tricky period. I mean, without sort of you know, blowing your own trumpet, like at the time when, when you're ready to get into startups and the startup community starts to know that you end up actually going on a lot of dates with a lot of people who are looking for someone to join their, their company. Um, so at the time that Bevis and I were speaking, I probably had like four or five people that I was like chatting to who just had different things that they were, you know, it's all about, it's all about the first date. It's all about, can you do a small project together and prove that it's successful? Um, and so I guess, you know, when it came to working with B, you know, he's, he's been based in San Francisco the whole time. So we've always had a remote communication relationship. So we're always on, it was WhatsApp was our key communication. Um, and I think it was just a matter of, you know, saying, here's what I'm prepared to offer and just kind of having you're reassessing your boundaries kind of every time, um, making sure that someone else is not, you know, on the, on the hook for your, you know, your actions, like they, that, sorry, let me rephrase, making sure that they, they're not sort of relying on you to do something that you're not going to do. So if you, if you know what your boundaries are and you communicate that clearly, then their decisions are up to them. Um, and then I think it's also about having that kind of really mutual respect about what can you learn from each other? Um, where do you see each other adding value to the project or to the business? Um, and so those were a lot of the conversations we had early on to really understand whether or not we would be a good fit to start something together. And where's the journey at now is um, it's taken a bit of a different turn because from you yeah. wondering whether you were in or, or not in um, you're very much, you are the CEO now, I understand. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it was, it's definitely been, you know, it's, it's changed a lot, you know, so basically where we are right now is uh, Bevis has moved on to a new project, um, which is called Impello. Io. It's also in the education space and, you know, on a similar mission, but uh, again, you know, uh, friendly, not, not competitive in terms of what he's working on. Um, but, you know, we, we went through a whole process where I think we had to reassess is, is this business that we're working, the hacker exchange, is that going in the direction that we both want? Um, and I had a really great analogy from another founder the other day about when you're working as a co-founding team, make sure that you're riding off into the same sunset. 
you know if you're both on the same horse the horses only can only go one way <laughs> you've got to be both riding to the same sunset and what that could mean is are you both looking for an exit are you looking to just create like a good value company are you looking for a lifestyle company that's just going to pay you a nice salary like are you looking for, you know just all of those decisions and I, we probably didn't have um you know first time founder on my side like i probably we probably didn't have the wisdom to have those conversations early um but we did start to have them kind of like you know year three year four just to just to check in like are we still heading in the, the same direction and we probably we, you know honestly we were like actually maybe we're not so um it was a it was a sort of a long drawn out conversation negotiation process to get to a point where b is still a minority shareholder in the business that he helped to build um and yet i can take it forward uh, intact with um with a new team and with a team that's been really committed to, to growing the business going forward so that's where we're at now amazing so Let's talk about that sunset. Let's start to fall yeah. focus. Uh, for you, education, you're an education innovator. What, what does that sunset look like for you? What does it look like for Hacker Exchange? What's the, what's the goal here? What's the, what's the big problem you're looking at? It's funny. I didn't, I didn't ever think I was going to become an education innovator. That was never something I wrote on my wall when I was a kid. Um, but, you know, I think the problem we're trying to address here is the fact that the rate of change in technology and in business models and in, is, is changing exponentially. You know, we, we know that we're seeing all this convergence of, of new technology and we're seeing a convergence of the way people interact. And yet the rate of change in education uh, is linear or some might say even flat. <laughs> Um, not at anywhere that you're teaching, obviously, um, but you know, we do know that as a, as a whole, like it is, it is moving quite slowly. We're also seeing this other issue and, you know, this is a great podcast I heard from, um, you know, ex-presidential candidate, Andrew Yang. He talked about this concept that universities are now a luxury brand when they used to be a public service. Um, you know, people are bragging about turning away eight out of 10, you know, applicants. Is that what we should be bragging about? So for me, there's kind of a few multi-leveled issues here around there's this, this widening gap between what's really happening with tech and with, you know, society and what people are being taught as well as, you know, the exclusivity of certain education. And I think, you know, Hacker Exchange is really here to, to help close that gap um, through entrepreneurship and innovation, uh, you know, education experiences. We think that like connecting to global cities and, and getting a bit of an understanding about where you fit in the world is important for people, uh, especially when they're studying. Um, so we just want to create, we want to create like a generation of new leaders. We want to see more businesses founded and funded and led by this new generation of leaders that are coming through today. So inspiring. And what I've noticed being on your program, you know, coming in and out, seeing them, hearing about them, knowing you a little bit is, and knowing your team a little bit too is, everyone seems so engaged you know mm. I, I, i've been struck by the the fact that people almost pay to come on your programs extracurricular weekends nights they'll oh, be yeah. there there's <laughs> lines of people your team would it seems like they'd volunteer for anything the ex-hacker exchange people all volunteer and come back mm -hmm. how do you how do you maintain this engagement across the board that's a really good question. I mean, I, you know, that's something that we're known for. And I, it was kind of a, a brand thing that happened probably accidentally and as a result of our personalities. But, you know, Hacker Exchange is known for being super high energy, super engaging and 
it's really important to us that people who join us on the programs, they, they feel some kind of personal growth as well as a connection to the rest of the cohort. So I always say there's a bit of art and science into building a cohort and building a community. For us, you know, we want everyone to be able to access this Ivy League level network without having gone to an Ivy League school. And that means that you're meeting people from around the world, from different universities, um, and we foster those connections like throughout the cohort. So that's really, that's really fun. Um, and I guess from a team culture perspective, you know, I want them to, to see that end result. I, they, we get inspired by our students who we call our hex, you know, they call themselves hexies. It's really cute. Um, but, you know, we're inspired by the fact that we're actually possibly the point at which somebody changes their life. And that's a really, really cool thing to be. Wow. I'm not overstating that. That sounds like a yes. big statement. I'm not overstating it. Like we know that. Yes. That so, right. so I'm interested on the business model side then, if we dig into mm. that, the HEX business model, if you like, is super engaging face-to-face, -face, um, change one person's life kind of, that's this part of part of the mission where, as a startup founder yourself, you know, um, mm -hmm. at Luna, similar, we kind of got have a service business, so it's not a pure tech business. Yep. Um, there's no doubt tech elements in there. How do you, how do you scale that? How do you, or how, rather than how do you scale, how do you think about scaling your style of business? Um, yeah this education business what what goes through your head what are the conversations you're having i think about this all the time because you know what i honestly i don't think i've cracked it properly yet and if anybody wants to reach out to me with ideas i would love to hear it but you know we think that like one way one way about scaling is great partnerships and you asked me at the start about collaborations that's probably another reason why we're such great collaborators is we think that you know uh, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts when you connect with another company or with another provider or, or people in different countries. So we are always on the lookout for kind of people with a hex vibe around the world. And we start to bring them into our network. We bring them to our communities. We build those relationships. Um, and so that's something we actively invest in because we know that even just one or two great relationships, you know, in different countries can spark an entirely new market for us. So that's, that's really cool. You know, I think about scaling from the perspective of like, I guess a pyramid, if people want to draw a pyramid in their heads, you know, right now we're kind of crushing it in the middle of the pyramid, which is that sort of, you know, quite high intensity uh, impact a few people greatly um, model where we're wanting to, what we're wanting to do next is build out to both the top and the bottom of the pyramid. The top being like, can we, you know, even further support those people that are, that are telling us that they want the additional support. So whether they're going into venture or they're going into high powered careers, how can we back those people at the very top of the pyramid? But then more importantly, how do we extend to the bottom of the pyramid um, with perhaps a model that responds more to this kind of like Netflix of learning vibe, you know, or a Spotify of learning. What does that look like? Mm. And how can we add the hex layer of communication and energy on top of the stuff that people need to know? Um, so that's kind of what we're thinking about at the moment. And uh, maybe we should do a brainstorm separately on that. That would be super fun. That would be super fun. <laughs> that would be awesome. I think we at Luna are facing very similar similar mm. channel challenges. Uh, so I can relate to a, relate to a lot of that. Um, so now, face-to-face uh, -face business, predominantly high energy, requires a certain dynamic. You do a lot of work around community and engagement with the students mm -hmm. on the program. It's March 2020. <laughs> COVID hits. Yeah, it does. What's, what's going on for you guys? What's happened? And okay, okay. I know you've done well, but I'm staggered how this has happened. This is, can you just tell, talk us through this period? So, so it's March, 2020. We are two, we are all sitting in our office uh, at our co-work space in Fitzroy. There is 
two days away from flying out to South by Southwest conference because we're running a mission for the Victorian government. That is like two days out. And we're all sitting there trying to decide whether it's a responsible thing for us to pull the pin or for the government to pull the pin or like blah, blah, blah. And then the email comes and the conference canceled. Right? So we're like, okay, decision made. And from that perspective, we basically were like, okay, the, this is the writing on the wall. Now we need to sit down and get into war room mode. So the team kind of gathered when we were still safe to gather um, in the office, we got on the whiteboard and we started scenario planning. We're like, okay, what are the things that could happen from here? One is like everything shut down. What is like, maybe Australia's open, maybe we can go to Sydney. And so we started to kind of map out all of these different scenarios. Um, and then we started to throw things at that wall. Okay, under scenario two, what are the like five, six things we could do? And we decided to go like, what's revenue generating right now? Because if, if our entire business, which it was, was built around face-to-face in-person travel programs, and all of a sudden you can't gather and you can't travel. Yeah, that was scary. Scary AF. <laughs> so wow. <laughs> and so where has it ended um, up? What scenario has played out for you? Well, you know, the one that we're hoping doesn't play out is the COVID forever scenario. Um, so that's the one that we're hoping. Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, we sort of uh, had to ask ourselves those hard questions about, well, if it's not, the coolness of taking people to Silicon Valley. What else do we do? What else are we known for? And it kind of forced us to sit down and go, what's our value? So we're like, okay, we always want to be known for global. Like anything we do has a global element. Um, We always want to be known for employability. Everything we do is something that helps someone get a job or create their own job. We always want to be known for being fun to work with and a breath of fresh air. So everything we do, all our communications, like project this, you know, level of confidence and fun and we've got this and let's make fun of this situation a little bit. So we sort of had to come back to like, what are the things that make hex hex regardless of the, of the thing that we do? So I guess if you want to talk about it in terms of like a Simon Sinek, we had to come back to like our, our why and our yeah. how because the what just had changed completely. Um, and so now we're running, uh, you know, like many others, but we're running some really awesome virtual programs. We're doing like great global challenges where there's time zone relay races around the world. We're connecting people with their colleagues in different cities and countries. Um, and we've actually managed to get a few, you know, we've brought on new, new university partners in this time and we've won an award for innovation and online programming. Like this is stuff I was not expecting. And I'm not going to lie, like revenue's down. <laughs> like <laughs> Revenue's down. Um, and it's, kept me awake at night and I definitely cried a lot um, at the start of this pandemic. Um, But the team has just been incredible. They've stepped up and what I'm seeing around the marketplace and you you probably are as well is now is the time more than ever for for collaboration. So it really comes full circle. Totally. And innovation and tech and everything that you are trying to achieve. Um, It certainly is you know, it's troubling times mm-hmm. right now, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's, it's, you're in the right space to maximize, um, maximize something at the end of the end of this. Yeah. So I'm interested on the, the tech innovation global. So you've seen a lot around the world as we sort of look to the future. Now we've, you've seen a lot, you've spent lots yeah. of time, Singapore, uh, Silicon Valley, Tel Aviv, you've taken students, young tech entrepreneurs from Australia over there. Mm. Uh, I mean, where do you see uh, the future for the Australian tech ecosystem or where are we positioning ourselves? Like we we sort of see 
a couple of things in Australia. Like what I would like to see is firstly an abolishment of any kind of like Sydney, Melbourne versus Adelaide kind of like BS. Like nobody cares outside of Australia, which city is leading. We need to kind of get straight on our national innovation narrative. If that's the thing we want to be known for, then we, I feel like we need to get straight on that. Um, I think that there's definitely some elements of, no, there's some elements which is just time. Like something like Silicon Valley, there's a maturity aspect there where you literally see seeds from the giant oaks falling to, you know, create more companies. Um, we're not quite there yet. We've got a few saplings in Australia. So there's, some, there's a time issue. Uh, there's probably also, you know, you see, you look at a place like Tel Aviv where there is such a direct through line from government to corporate to universities to startups. Like that is so clear about how they work together. Um, and they're very open to those conversations. So I think we could see... Um, our corporates, you know, our government and corporates and unis and startups are working together a little more in Australia to get that straight. Um, but, you know, I think, I think on the whole, you know, Australians are pretty resilient. Um, I would like to think so anyway. I think that we're creative. We're known as like good people to work with around the world generally. Um, we probably don't back ourselves quite enough. You know, we, we don't maybe think as big as we could. Um, but that's just a matter of exposure and mindset change. So that stuff can be learned. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel like things are shifting. So yeah. Um, and speed, just, just like action, speed and biased action. Absolutely. So, yeah. so what's next for Hacker Exchange? What does um, 2021 look like 2022? Uh -huh. Let's go. You're sitting December, 2021. You know, what, what, what are you, what are you aiming for there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, who knows? Like, you know, right now it's a little bit where we're, you know, trying to adapt to the market that, that we're in and the environment that we're in. But um, I really think that if we're a team that can transition and prove that we've pivoted from purely travel in-person programs to delivering excellent virtual innovation programs, partnering with awesome people around the world, and we've seen a lot of our competitors fold in the last few months. If we can survive it through to like, early to mid 2021, I think we're really, really well placed to, you know, once travel comes back to take off. Um, I like to see us with some amazing global partnerships so that we can have like hubs, community hubs in different cities. Um, I'd like to see us with that, uh, that digital learning platform, at least prototyped and potentially, you know, uh, well, by the end of 2021, I, I want it live and I want it to have lots of users. Um, <laughs> I also want to see um, Hex having uh, a bit of a voice in, you know, what's happening around student entrepreneurship and youth entrepreneurship. You know, we're already starting some research at the moment uh, in that space. And, and I think we can really become a bit of like a, a proxy voice for, for our community um, who right now need to be heard by, you know, people making policy and people making decisions. Um, so that's something else I'd like to like us to do. Well, I believe you've convinced me. Um, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of that will happen and I can already see you as, as leaders in the, the student entrepreneurship space. I think that's quite, quite obvious to everyone. Uh, so I like to wrap up with some rapid fire questions, short, okay. sharp, uh, whatever's on the tip of your tongue. All right. Oh gosh. Uh -huh. <laughs> we'll keep them appropriate. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> uh, are there any other education disruptors that inspire you? I'm just, I'm super excited to see what the big tech companies are doing. You know, they're, they're going to come in hard and fast. Uh, you know, you, you talk about Harvard times Google or something, you know, or Atlassian times Monash, like these things are exciting. So I'm really, really keen to see what the big tech founders, um, you know, companies do in education. 
But in terms of small ones, like there's some great Aussie ones. Sorry, this is meant to be rapid fire. I can. No, no, no. Give me the Aussie ones. We love the Aussie ones. Go. Uh, there's, there's a Cloud Guru, which is you know a great sort of um, a great company that's doing like uh, cloud uh, computing courses, and they've got a really fast, rapid sort of crowdsourced change of um, curriculum, which is pretty exciting. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm always I'm always continuously inspired by some of those um, groups like Code Like a Girl and and uh, who are Code Like a Girl is amazing. Trying to you know yeah increase STEM and female participation. Should a business bootstrap or get funding? Depends how, yeah, I say, I say bootstrap first, because if you don't know if you can, if you can sort yourself out, then uh, you don't want to be in debt to someone else, but you know, to each their own. Uh, and the final one, uh, what advice would you give to uni version of yourself? Don't wait so long to do something that's interesting because you know, all of that time that you spent building up someone else's business, you know, you could have put some of that time into building up, building up things for yourself. So yeah, I'd just say back yourself a little earlier. Don't wait so long to get permission to do something cool. And there you have it. Jeanette, thank you so much. That was an incredible conversation. I loved it. Thanks, Ro. Likewise. Uh, really good to chat to you as always. So I am blown away by that conversation with Jeanette. I mean, I had always known her as this incredible collaborator, amazing person to work with, but I never realized how much time, effort, and and how focused she was at actually developing that skill. It hasn't just happened by choice, and there's so many learnings there on relationships. And if we think about her business and how it's gone and from the start to where they are now. It's that consistency of, of, of relationships that are really keeping them going. So for you, uh, the Monash students out there, I want you to think about relationships in your business, in your business challenges that you have presented to you. How are you protecting those relationships? How are you uh, harnessing the power of those relationships? How, what are some legal things you might do to supplement the relationship and consolidate and future proof? Think about it because we will have Jeanette uh, joining us next week to answer any questions you have about Hacker Exchange, their business model, as well as power of relationships and navigating relationship changes. So can't wait to have Jeanette in class and I will see you all in class for Tuesday.